Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Well, it's so good to have you this morning. Um, it's going to be a good morning. Uh, it's already been a good morning. Um, and then I don't know how this hits, but TCU won yesterday, 5-0. and Texas won by a little bit yesterday, uh, just a little bit. Um, exercise some demons, and then um, and then my personal favorite, Michigan. Michigan won again, so we're we're cruising. Too easy of a schedule, quite frankly. And I set my backpack down somewhere, and I don't know where. And I didn't grab my Bible before I did so. Um, it's okay though. I got technology, and it's all good. So as long as it doesn't go away, I'm good. Um, I was actually doing a, a graveside. Um, not, I did do a graveside this uh, this past weekend for Matt's grandmother. And then we had a funeral on Thursday that I also officiated for Jeannie Arnold. That was a tough one. Uh, so close to our family and, and has been to church several times. It was a big part of our journey and faith. And, um, and so, oh man, gosh, at least a couple hundred people showed up. Like just really, really special time. Uh, but I did do a graveside one time where I tried to use my iPad and be technologically savvy. And it shut off halfway through. And... Uh, it was awkward because it was halfway through Psalm 23, which is a verse I know. Um, but when you're relying, you, you know what I mean? Like when you're relying on technology and it shuts off, it doesn't matter what you know, like everything's out the window. So I was just doing this at a graveside. It was fantastic. Um, hey, I want you to turn your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12. We're in, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm Brandon. It's my wife, Meredith, who just led us so beautifully in, um, in worship and communion. And it's cool that my son refused to go in kids because we got to do communion together. So that's great. Hi, Gray Gray. Um, he's not into it. Um, but uh, but I, we are in the middle of or just beginning a vision series. How many of you were here last weekend for our vision Sunday? We're able to start that off. Raise your hand or clap or hoot or holler or whatever. There you go. Um, I'm really excited about what we're doing. And I've, I've gotten text messages this week, people crying watching the video, including my father, um, and it's, it's a really exciting thing to talk about where we're heading. But more than that, I think it's really exciting to talk about kind of where we are and what God's doing in us currently. And so I'm really excited about uh, what we're digging into. And so we're going to take the next six to seven weeks. We launched kind of Vision Sunday. and We, we talked about this mission and vision that we wanted to clear up, confirm, make sure that we all understood it, that we were uh, making and becoming disciples who fix our eyes on Jesus are formed in community, and live out their calling until our city sees Jesus like never before. And that statement then led into and led into some decisions and initiatives that we were making, um, one of which is city partnerships. So last weekend we gave a commercial fridge uh, to help with Fortress's food pantry, so we doubled their ability to, uh, the only thing she said to me was that she has to figure out how she's going to plug it in now, because they don't have enough power in that room, but... Um, uh, and we gave them a thousand bucks, and we're giving them a bunch of diapers for that that stuff. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to introduce a couple other things that we're doing. Uh, one ministry, Create and Co., uh, which serves first time, uh, first generation college students. First generation college students just started two years ago. Already fifty plus uh, students in the program. They do a twelve week uh, school of leadership, basically, and then uh, all on just basic stuff. And then they help make sure they've got deals with Target, IKEA to furnish the college students apartment because I mean we've gotten better at getting kids into college uh, but we aren't necessarily great at helping them stay there and so that's kind of what Create and Co is about led by uh, just a great 
person, Raquel, so I'm excited to announce that. So we got a few other things that we'll be announcing and talking about over the next several weeks. Second Avenue, which is our desire to, to empower people in their gifting and their calling because the church is not just a place for Jesus and friends, but also for fulfillment and living out the thing God's called you to do. So we want to make sure we're a place that's empowering that and creating a place for that. And so uh, we got a few others. You can go check it on the website. I think they're important. And the last one, the big one, is, is truly is, is, is kind of finalizing and purchasing fully this building and being able to do it again. And so over the next three to five years, the goal is to be able to pay this thing off to purchase it, and to then replicate that process. So our next all-in team night on November 2nd, Pastor Walt Landers, who helped make this deal happen, is going to be in the building. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, and so we're really excited about that. All right. I really do want you, though, to make sure you're going and checking because none of what I've just told you, goals, initiatives, ideas, tables, and teams is something we want to really pour into. None of those are separate from the mission and vision of who we are. We didn't just get up last week and go, hey, we got some cool ideas. We got up last week and said, this is who we are, so this is what we're going to do. And I think that's really, really important. And uh, a really, really important thing for us to make sure that what we're doing is coming out of who we are. Because otherwise, the soul is... Um, the soul is only healthy when everything is integrated, not disintegrating. And, and there's this, there's this um, importance for us to put on, on making sure that mind, heart, body, will are connected because that's when the soul is most healthy. The soul is unhealthy when your mind is doing something different than your body is doing and your soul and your, your heart is doing, right? My heart is doing this. My mind says no to that. My body is out here floundering. And so we've got to make sure that we're integrating um, all of that. One of the best books I've ever read on that is Soul Keeping. So if you're in a season of um, getting into soul health, I would, I would highly recommend Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Uh, it's it's such, a, such a great book. Hey, and so um, I want you to Hebrews chapter 12. All right. Um, fragmented focus. How many of you know, um, I'm not going to read it yet. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I, how many of you know that we live in a culture currently where focusing is difficult? Have you ever had a tough time focusing on something? I coach nine-year-olds. I coach a baseball team of nine-year-olds, one of which is my son, which, yes, adds a layer of complexity. Um, that's a nice way of putting it. And, and I, I lose my voice every Tuesday night and every Saturday afternoon uh, because I cannot get them with everything else going on, including eight other nine-year-olds around them, to focus on what we're here to do. And we are, let me be very clear, we are here to win. Okay? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. No, I'm just joking. Sort of. Um, we didn't win yesterday, and I'm still a little bit, a little bit. It's 115. We've never lost a game that started other than at 115. It's just tough. I don't know what it is. I think it's that lunchtime, lunchtime drag. We just don't, don't do well. But we live in a culture where focus is... Um, is a precious, precious thing, where your attention has actually become a commodity. Your attention is for sale every day. Your attention is the thing people are buying these days. Your attention is the thing people are paying for. Instagram is not for you. It's for advertisers. Um, I know, it, I, listen, social media is, is, a, is a thin line. It can be all good and all bad and sometimes all of it all at the same time. But we live in a culture that is often distracted. My son went in to brush his teeth this morning. He went in there and did something. He definitely didn't brush his teeth. We live in a world when we go into different spaces and places, 
where we get distracted, our focus is taken off of what we went there to do. Anybody ever go into a place intending to do one thing and walk out of that space realizing you did not do that thing? You did something, but you didn't do the thing you (laughs) intended to do. How many of you wake up Monday morning, set goals, Today's going to be amazing. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. You get to the end of the day and you're like, I did that and that and that and that and none of this and this and this and this. And it can be difficult to keep our focus on things. I was reading a book last night. It just came out called um, uh, Pray Like Monks, uh, Live Like Fools. And I, I think it's awesome so far, so far. I can't tell you the rest. I've of, only about 20% of the way through it, but so far it's good. And he talks about um, the three primary things over the course of history that have ruined our attention span. It started with the clock. 1300s, they put a clock um, out in public for everyone to see, and all of a sudden, we started running on artificial time instead of natural time. We started not not rising with the sun and going to sleep with the sun, but rising based on what time it was. How many of you have ever known you should go to sleep, but the clock didn't say a certain thing, and so you were like, I can't go to bed yet? Anybody know that, right? Because you're you're going on the clock time. The next one, uh, the next one after that was the invention of the light bulb, and really that's a more of an umbrella phrase to say that the invention of some of these things that technology and appliances, things that allowed us to run things whenever we wanted to run them, right? Allowed us to do things whenever we wanted to. Allowed us to watch TV into the night, right? When we think the rest of the world is asleep, but it's not. The whole, your whole neighborhood is up way too late watching TV. Y'all should have a party. That, that began to make us even more dependent on our own decisions about what time should be used for, right? And y'all know what the last one is. The last one was the iPhone, right? Incredible invention, amazing for a lot of good, great reasons. You got a computer. You got like 10 computers in your hand, all right? But it also became, again, another tool that allowed us to be distracted, how many of you use your phone less as a productivity tool and more as a distraction tool? How many of you, when you go to do something, you pick up your phone so you can be distracted while you're doing whatever you are supposed to be doing, and halfway through, you've forgotten what you were supposed to be doing. What you were supposed to be doing was done 25 minutes ago, and you were still looking at your phone. These things have caused us to be people who live with a phrase that has now been coined, okay, Continual partial attention. This is a phrase now being used in scientific journals. We now live with consistent partial attention, meaning we go everywhere in our life without being able to give it the focus it deserves. Oh, my God, the amount of people. Now, I know evolution works its way, and now we're, maybe we're good at driving with our phone, but my guess is it's probably still a bad idea. How many people you watch just driving down the street with their phone in their hand, and every one of us is shaking yes? I'm sure none of us do it. We end up very distracted, but they're starting to discover that kids have to yell to get their parents' attention. What parents used to do to kids when they were watching television their kids are now having to do to their parents to get their parents off their phones and look at their children. I've never done that. I've always been so locked into my kids. We're starting to see things like deep reading, where you would just grab a book, grab a coffee, sit in a comfy chair, and read. Just read. Really get into it. 
is now beginning to dissipate because we are every once in a while we hear a little buzz, even if it's not a real one. That fake ghost buzz is real. It's not even in your, it's not even in your pants, but you, you know someone just called you. And we're, we're living in this place where we, we're, we're not focused. And they're actually beginning to realize that our IQ, when we're distracted, is dropping by at least 10 IQ points. What do you think about that? You aren't actually as smart as you actually are because you're so distracted that you're not smart anymore. You're smart. You're just not smart because you're continually, consistently, partially attentive to the things that matter. And so we can't understand life because we're not paying attention to it. We can't seem to fix our eyes on the things that matter most. So we live in a world of fragmented attention. Now, that's not necessarily new. All of those things are not things that you were like, oh, that's it. Thank you, Brandon. That was, thank you. I've been wondering what the problem is and focused, yes. We all know that. We all go to bed going, I wish I had paid more attention to. And some of you are better at this than others. Some of you are really good at that goal journal in the morning and the to-do list, and I get it and all that. But even that becomes in and of itself this overwhelming sense of I didn't do all the things I set out to do. But again, that goes back to the clock and the light bulb and the phone. You now think that your primary goal in life is to be efficient. You now think the best thing you could ever reach for and ever obtain is being efficient, productive. Oh, that's a lie. I don't mind being efficient. I like it. I adopt a new to-do list every six months, a new to-do app, because I think they're fun. I'm weird like that. I send it to people. Guys, this will change your life. And then they come to me six months later like, man, this is really working. Oh, I changed mine. I don't use it anymore. (laughs) But listen, let me just say this. A fragmented attention has also now led to a fragmented faith. A distracted Attention span has now led to a distracted faith. Michael Zigarelli of Messiah University did a five-year study of 20,000 Christians in the United States and identified busyness as the number one distraction from life with God. He summarizes his own research by saying this, It may be the case that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in their lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with him, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which then leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Quite a vicious cycle, if you ask me. Richard Foster writes this, in contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will be satisfied. Our faith, for many of us, is in this state of continual partial attention. And this is not the kind of thing Jesus had in mind when he said, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul everything that you are. Now, some of us can take that statement and go way the wrong direction. Some of you are already trying to find the closest monastery you're going to go live as a monk somewhere. But the goal here, the desire that I hope to begin to 
cultivate in us as a church as we talk about becoming disciples who fix our eyes on Jesus. It's for us to begin to realize that there are counterformation things happening to us every day. There are habits and rituals and patterns and rhythms that are shaping us every single day. They are, they are changing the way we think, changing the way we perceive, changing the way we, we react, changing the way we dress, the way we talk, the things we watch. We are, I, I'm telling you, half the shows we say we like are just because they're put in front of us more often. We see them and we, we hear about them and then we watch them and then we're like, yeah, I think that's good. Pop music, good example. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not all that great. Now, that could be said for a lot of music, like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going I'm to stay on the good side of my wife and not tell you what type of genre is not on my radio presets. And there's a very straightforward answer that the Bible gives us for this. And it's why we've put it in our mission statement as a church. It's a very straightforward, not a simple one. It's not an easy one, might I say. Maybe a better way to say it. It's not an easy one. It's simple, it's straightforward, but it's not easy. So let's read Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, now he's talking to people who are losing faith. He's talking to people who are starting to get a bit of a fragmented, uh, disintegrated faith. They're starting to let this thing pull them apart. There's been a lot of things going on. A lot of things are happening. And so the author of Hebrews starts with kind of an admonition, don't give up, don't give up. Then he tells us the Hebrews 11, hey, these, all these people didn't give up. And God did these things. And they didn't even get to see the fullness of all that God had promised them. And so then he comes into this scripture. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So easy to do, right? So simple. Again, I'm not necessarily telling you things you do not know. I'm trying to bring back into your consideration Jesus. Matthew 6, Jesus says this, Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. Let me just think about that. He, he brings everything back to the fullness of light in your life. He brings everything back to what? One thing. What you are taking in. If your eye is good, in other words, if it is fixed, if it is, if it is clear, if you are looking upon the right things, then everything else will be full. One translation says it like this. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single. I love that. When thine eye is single. When you are fixed upon the one thing that matters, then everything else is full of light. It kind of sounds like another thing Jesus said, right? Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. No, I don't think he tried to tell you all the things and what they were. He just wanted you to understand, if you just fix your eyes on me, then all those things will be added. And it's like a mystery box. 
It's like my son, even when he's not good in kids' church, he goes and tries to find the mystery treasure box and takes something out of it. Such a preacher's kid. When thine eye is single, when it is not multiple, when it is not focused on many things at once, one way to read, uh, have no other God before me, is to also say, have no other God beside me. It is to not have anything else that also takes the same place in your life as Jesus. To not allow God to be equal with other things. To not place God in equal standing with other things, but to always make sure that God resides in a place of supremacy. So when Paul talks in Colossians about the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus, he is doing it in contrast to all the other things that are not those. Our whole life is a, is a distinguishing of what is worth my attention and what is not. Our whole life is a decision about what can have my attention and what cannot have my attention. And many times when we get caught up six months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road, and go, how did I end up here? I can usually tell you the reason you ended up there is because you kept looking there. It is because you put your eye on the thing, right, that began to fill your life with a shadow instead of with the sun. And when we look upon things, we behold those things. We do, as many have always said, become like those things. Why is this so important? Why does it matter that we fix our eyes on Jesus? Like we talked about Zacchaeus getting up on a sycamore tree and this place becoming like a sycamore tree where those who are on the fringes, on the edges, can climb and find Jesus and discover that as they see Jesus, he sees them. Right? But why is that so important? Why is it so important that we see Jesus? Because just one simple fact, to follow him means we must see him. Many of us are trying to follow Jesus without ever actually looking at him. Many of us are trying to walk behind him without ever actually locating where he is. Now, whose job is it to remind us who he is? Whose job is it to, to locate him for us? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's whole job is to remind you of the things Jesus has taught, to show you who he is like, and to do the same in you. So we have to create space. If your faith seems to be fragmented at the moment, let me just humbly and gently offer to you that most likely it is because you have a fragmented focus. That is not to say that you can't, look, that you can't create time for God and still have moments where you are frustrated, but if you are finding that consistently and over and over your faith seems to be distracted, fragmented, not full, I just humbly submit to you that there's a chance it's because your focus is on something other than that you have actually gotten distracted from the beauty, the majesty, the supremacy, and the sufficiency of Jesus. Like God with Abraham, look upon me. I am your shield, and I am your great reward. You are, I am your satisfaction, right? And I am your security. One of the ways you can say fix your eyes, in fact, other translations would say this, but the meaning and the purpose of this idea of fixing your eyes on Jesus is within it, built within it, also this thought that you must turn your eyes from something else. There is, a, um, there is an intentional decision baked within that phrase that is meant to tell you and remind you that to fix your eyes upon him, you are going to have to remove your eyes from them. To fix your eyes on Jesus, you're going to have to remove your attention from things that do not point to him. There is, a, there is an element of, of resistance built into faith. 
There is an element of resistance built into this idea that I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. And to fix my eyes on Jesus, I have to make the determination in my life to remove my attention from things that do not matter. That we continually choose Jesus. The reason we say this idea of, um, hey, that, that we, are, we don't exist, that we would at one time fix our eyes on Jesus, but that we would always be people who are fixing our eyes on Jesus is because discipleship is not a one-off, one-time thing. It is not just a pathway that you do step one, step two, step three, step four, and you're done. It is more the cycle of attentioning to Jesus, of giving our eyes to Jesus in the same way we do it to things that don't matter, and it creates some kind of vicious cycle. If we give our eyes to Jesus, we are always coming back to Jesus. I mean, the disciples, think about the disciples. How often did they have to come back to Jesus? We tried this and we couldn't figure it out. Oh, they only got five loaves, two fish. I don't know what to do with this. We prayed over this demon. It didn't go anywhere. Oh, the waves are coming in. What do we do? And Jesus, over and over and over again, had to remind them of what he is and what his kingdom looks like. This process and life and journey of discipleship is one that requires us to always come back to and always turn away from and always fix our eyes upon Jesus because that is where faith is pioneered. It is where it is created. There's a, um, there's a, there's a tool used in art. There's a tool used in, in, in design, and, and it's a simple tool. And Many of you guys have probably heard it. It's simply called negative space. Anybody heard of negative space? Um, how many of you have seen the lack of negative space? It's, uh, it can be a little disorienting. So I just grabbed this morning, I actually grabbed some, threw them to the team. Just, I'm just going to, I just got a couple. I don't have a ton. But no, show that one last. Go to the other ones. Um, you're not ruining the surprise. It's okay. This is an example of negative space. There is more of nothing than there is of something, but the something is the thing you pay attention to. Right? It's called the negative and the positive. You can't have a positive without a negative. So this negative space actually draws your attention not to the negative thing, but to the thing that you are trying to see. You could have just zoomed in. See, this is what we tend to do. We tend to go, if I just zoom in more and more and more, then I'll see it. But this negative space actually creates for you an opportunity to see what you need to see. Go to the next one. I think there's another one. This one. Negative space. What did you immediately look at? You looked at the tiny little sailboat. That's what you, the, tiny, the, 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 the smallest thing in the picture, that's what you looked at. Why? Because they created negative space. They created empty space so you could see what is there. You read up on negative space, it says there's never a positive without a negative. We just said that. And the same can be said in art. Positive space and negative space work together to achieve balance in a composition. Without them, a work might overwhelm the eye or not activate the layout at all. To ensure that a drawing or painting is in equilibrium, you must always remember to plan the areas of negative space as much as you do the active space. Okay, I want you to go to that last one. So this is art gallery. What do you see? Nothing but art, right? They only, why don't they put more chairs in art galleries? Why don't they put more like maybe water stands or like maybe they could put some graffiti on the wall? Like why don't they do more? Why? We all know the answer. Because they want you to focus on what? The art. 
Why are the walls in here all white? Because when we put art on them, we want you to see the art. And as big as the white walls are, you won't focus on the white walls. You'll focus on the art. Why am I trying to say this? Why am I giving you an art lesson? Because the same goes in our life. Sometimes what we try to do to fix our faith and to fix our eyes is to simply go, if I could just focus more on this, and we spend no time attending to the negative space we are creating. So we throw a painting on a wall with 4,000 other paintings, and then we go, if I could just look at that one and only that one all the time, then I'll be good. And there's an element of that that's true. Life is not always going to be clean, simple, and easy in white walls. I get that. I totally understand. But there are moments and spaces, in fact, I think it should be more often than you think, where you are creating intentionally, on purpose, negative space. Creating the empty space where you can see Jesus. Where you can actually focus in on the thing you are meant to see. Sometimes it's not, we're not missing Jesus because he's not there. We're missing Jesus because there's too much else there. Some of us, we've got to create the negative space. Look in your schedule. Where can you create negative space? Space that isn't already filled by something. Or where can you remove some things from that space? Where can you create the space in your life? When we talk about fix our eyes on Jesus, we, we keep going back to this idea of patterns. We talked about this at the beginning of 2019, 2020. We began to go into the patterns of Jesus. Because if we can create patterns, temple to table, if we can create patterns, which we're all in return, if we can create patterns, then we can begin to see Jesus in the spaces of our life. We can begin to see him in places and spaces and begin to adjust our life accordingly. But we have to create space. And for some of us, it's more difficult than others. I totally understand. Some of you got a new job, and now you can't create space that you thought you used to be able to create. Some of you had a bad situation or a bad relationship or something went wrong, and now, uh, man, my schedule's all out of whack. And, uh, you know, I just had a kid. or what, Whatever the case might be, there's all kinds of reasons why the wall has gotten junked up with a bunch of other things. That's why I'm also standing here this morning saying to you, create negative space so that you can fully attend to Jesus. Let me suggest three places. Three places. If you're going to fix your eyes, you need to fix your rhythms. If you're going to fix your eyes on Jesus, you need to fix the rhythms of your life. Now, again, some of you are going to hit harder than others because some of you, like, this, your schedule is so wild. For some of you, it's just, okay, all right, yeah, I know, I know exactly where I'm going to do that. But to fix our rhythms. For some of you, you need to institute a Sabbath, like yesterday. It's a gift. And I understand modern life, and sometimes it can be hard, and you look at that clock in public, and you look at your iPhone and the light bulb, and right? And then you get all this stuff, and you, you begin to think about all the stuff you got to do. and all. Listen, that's part of why this is, this is a decision of attending to your attention and making a decision about where you're placing your eyes. You, you have to fix your rhythms. In his book, Live uh, No Lies, uh, John Mark Homer says it's as simple as this. Small, regular habits, practices, or disciplines that open our minds up to the spirit and close them off to the flesh. What are some of the ways? Sabbath, waking up a little bit earlier, right? Taking 10 minutes of your lunchtime. What are some ways that you can withdraw and return? What are some ways that you can step away from the noise and fix some rhythms of your life so that you can fix your eyes on what matters? Second one. 
fix your expectations. Maybe, this, maybe another way to say that is to fix your attitude. To fix your eyes on Jesus is not to always go to him with things to say. In fact, for many of us, we need to learn the art of simply listening. To let God shape the moment. To let God shape the space. When you, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, say, Our Father who art in heaven, and then pause. Hang out there for a minute. Let him speak. Let him get a word in. For some of us, fix your expectations is, is simply going, uh, you know, some people thought Jesus was going to do this, and he did that. For some of us, it's, it's realizing that at the center of this is Jesus and not me, that my expectation of what God is going to do has to be submitted to what God actually wants to do. And so when I, to fix my eyes on Jesus, I have to almost make a decision. Not almost. We have to make a decision to submit with prayer and supplication in thanksgiving all my needs to God. And he will give me the peace that surpasses understanding. I have to submit those things. I have to submit my expectations of what my six-month mark is going to look like, my year mark is going to look like, my two-year mark. And don't do that because you think, oh, great, it's just going to be a, a rough sled from here. No, no, it's just simply to say that in all things, I'm going to submit my expectations and my assumptions about what this is going to look like and what Jesus looks like. The reason we want to see this city see Jesus like never before is because we know that whether you've been in church for a long time or whether you've never stepped foot in church, you can get a new picture of who Jesus is. All right, third one. Van's trying to get me off the stage. No, I'm just joking. I shouldn't have brought attention to it. You guys are doing a great job. You're doing a great job. My fault. Attention. Stay focused, Brandon. The third one's this. And this one, again, I'm going to gently and humbly submit this because I don't disagree with some of what I'll explain it. The third one is this, fix your ego. Octavius Winslow says this, we must look away from ourselves. Self is perhaps the most common and insidious object that comes between the eye of the soul and Jesus. When God was ejected from the heart of man, self vaulted into the vacant throne and has ever since maintained a supremacy. There's a, there is um, a healthy, good movement towards taking care of your soul. There is. And it is good. And it is right. There is a place where taking care of your soul becomes taking care of yourself. And that's when it moves into a space where the end result will not result in, in freedom and hope. It'll It'll end up with you fixed your eyes on self, and self becomes the center. We have to be willing to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to fix rhythms. We've got to fix some expectations. But we also have to fix our ego. We have to realize that we are not the center of every story. We are not the center of every situation. We are, not, we are not the center of every. In fact, we need to be willing to make Jesus, if we're going to fix our eyes, make him the center. And when we do that, when we drink from the cup of Jesus, what happens? We have rivers of living water that flow out of our life. The issue is not that you haven't cared enough about yourself. All right? Although there are, there are times where that happens. And again, I'm, sim I'm simply giving you this and doing this the best way I can because I know what this pushes up against. I understand. Okay? 
But some of us need a Sabbath more than we need a vacation. I love vacations. I'm planning on taking more of them. And sometimes a Sabbath and a vacation go very much hand in hand. So don't get me wrong. I'm simply saying that you, some of us need a Sabbath more than the weekend. Some of us need a time with Jesus in the morning more than we need a drink at five. I'm not, I'm not making a, a moral statement about these other things. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is saying what matters most. Those things are fine when they're done with something else that is greater. They get, they get not okay. They get unhealthy when they are the solution. When they fix every problem because you haven't fixed your eyes on the only thing that will. Self-care is absolutely necessary. But you know, you know why we don't value ourselves enough? Because we haven't asked God how much he values us lately. We haven't spent any time looking upon the majesty of the king, seeing the goodness of God, and that he is a father sitting on a hill waiting for his son to return. That he is a savior on a cross who's spread his arms, bled and died and suffered so that you would know he will never stop loving you. That all things are possible through the one who has made the earth. And that I will never leave you and never forsake you because you matter that much to me. I want to read a quote that um, William Barclay says, In the Christian life, we have a presence, the presence of Jesus. He is at once the goal of our journey and the companion on our way. At once the one whom we go to meet and the one whom with we travel. He is both the thing that is in our attention, but also the thing that is with us as we go. He is and will be. He is and he will be. For us to fix our eyes on Jesus, create the negative space, put nothing else on the wall, and allow yourself to sit, to sit in the presence of something that is more valuable and more beautiful and more powerful than anything else on this earth. And when everybody else is trying to buy your attention, let Jesus have your attention. Give him, give him all that you have. Create the space. There's a, um, are we good to do it? There's a song, it's classic, classic. And I didn't know if it'd be corny or cheesy to do it, but we're going to do it anyways. So I want you to stand with me. Because for some of you today, that's why we challenged you this morning and last week, to, to, especially during this vision series, to make Sunday a commitment. Not an option, but a commitment. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here every weekend. Because church for me is some negative space. No, not because we just talk down to things. Some of y'all fill in space with negative things. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you to create negative space to fill it with the right things. Oh, come on now. That's the best thing I've said all day. This is negative space for you to put your attention on the positive thing, to put your attention on the thing that allows you to lift your eyes, to lift your heads, to lift your shoulders, to stand in the majesty of God.
and to allow him to drown out every other voice, every other competing thing. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, oh, we will fix what is happening in our soul.